John chapter 10, 1 to 21, hear the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may, might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will be, they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I first arrived in... Guadalajara, Mexico, somehow the people picked up by looking at me that I wasn't from there. And so they would ask obvious questions. They would say, from where are you? And I would tell them, and then they would say, why are you here? What are you doing here? And I would tell them that I am un pastor. I am a pastor. And they would often get very quizzical looks on their face because in Spanish, the same word, pastor, serves for the two words we have in English, shepherd and pastor. And in the original here, in Greek, it's just one word that covers these two offices. In Spanish, it's one word. And in English, it's two. So we may in our minds have some distinction between a shepherd and a pastor. But in Spanish, that's not the case. But also, in most cases, they had never met a pastor. And so they would ask, you mean of sheep? They knew what what sacerdotes, they knew what priests in the Catholic Church were, but they'd never heard anybody called a pastor 
except for one who tended to animals. But I like the fact that it's only one word in Spanish because it was a constant reminder to me of what my job was. I couldn't get confused about what my job was if my job was named shepherd. But it also was a constant challenge to me because the high standard of what a shepherd pastor really is, is what we encounter in this chapter where Jesus identifies himself as the shepherd, as the pastor of the sheep. Now, he doesn't do a parable like we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. and find we don't, In fact, we don't find those in the Gospel of John. But here he uses something that's sort of like a parable, a, a metaphor, a figure of speech. And you will notice that he's not completely consistent in how he uses it. He takes this idea of the shepherd and the sheep, and then he holds it up and he, he, he turns it around and looks at different facets of this image. And so we have the image itself in the first six verses about the good shepherd leading his sheep. And then he focuses in the next verses on the door of the sheep. And then he focuses on the fact that the good shepherd, what he does for the sheep. Now, the first image is an image of a fixed sheephold with fixed walls and a door that is tended by the gatekeeper. And in this image, the idea is there's only one door, one legitimate way in and out. And the other way is an illegitimate way to jump over the fence. And that's what he says, or jump over the wall. He says, thieves and robbers climb over the wall because they have nefarious purposes. They want to do harm to the sheep. But in contrast, the shepherd uses the door. The shepherd goes through the door and the gatekeeper opens for the shepherd. Why? Because the gatekeeper recognizes the voice of the shepherd. But not only does the gatekeeper recognize the voice of the shepherd, the sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. And this could be reflecting an image of a practice in those days. Uh, The practice was there would be this enormous fixed sheepfold And different shepherds would have different flocks. But at night, in order to protect their sheep, they would use the communal sheepfold. And they would bring different flocks into the same sheepfold. And then you would think, and a sheepfold could be up to about a hundred sheep. So let's say you have three shepherds and three flocks, 300 sheep, and then you want to take them out the next morning. How do you separate them? Well, the answer was... The sheep knew the voices of their shepherds. And so all the shepherd had to do was to call to his sheep, and his sheep and none others would follow him. Also, uh, it says here that the the shepherd calls the sheep, his own sheep, and he leads them in verse 3. So he has them at night in the sheepfold for protection, and then he leads them out for sustenance during the day. And this also reflects the Eastern practice, which is still the practice. In the West, shepherds drive their sheep. They drive their sheep from behind, uh, often using sheepdogs. But in the East, to this day, shepherds lead their sheep. And so this is the image. The shepherd goes before 
And the sheep follow the shepherd because they know his voice. And that's the only one that they will follow. Now, um, the, the flip side of the shepherd leading is the sheep following. So, uh, how do you know if you are a sheep of a certain shepherd? Well, you know if you recognize the voice and you respond and you follow. And so, dropping the metaphor, this is how you can know if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Here's a simple test. Do you know His voice? Do you recognize His voice when He speaks through His Word? Do you respond and do you follow Him? That's the test of whether one is a Christian or not. Christian heritage is a great blessing. Christian experience is a fantastic gift to have. But the real test of whether one is a believer is whether that person follows the shepherd. Now, there's also the other side. That which a a true believer will not do. A, A true believer will not follow other voices. A true believer will follow only the voice of the shepherd. It says that here the sheep... Well, they will flee from uh, others, the strangers. They will not follow, but they will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And that's another characteristic of true believers. They will not get led astray by alternative voices leading them in other directions. So that's the basic metaphor. And it, it concludes with a comment on ver- in verse 6. It says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, that word understand is the same word that we've been encountering here as know. So let's see how this sounds. The figure of this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not know what he was saying to them. What's going on here? Well, why didn't they know what he was saying to them? Because they didn't know his voice. And why didn't they know his voice? Because they weren't his sheep. And so this is a tragic conclusion to this section. But at the end, there is a more positive, at the end of the section we're looking at today, there is a more positive evaluation. But this is a a statement that at this point, they couldn't, know him because they didn't recognize his voice. Now, he takes the image in verse 7 and he he turns it a little bit. And he says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now he's changed the image, hasn't he? It was a fixed sheepfold with a door and a gatekeeper. Now Jesus says, I'm going to shift that a bit. And now I'm taking the place of the door. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me, and here we see the thieves and robbers again. What were the thieves and robbers doing in the first one? They were climbing over the wall to do harm to the sheep. And now the thieves and robbers show up again. He says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. What do you do with a door? For what purpose are there doors in the world? To go in? And to go out. And that's what he says here. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So you go in for protection, you go out in order to eat. And Jesus said, I'm the way, I am the door that enables you to do that. In other words, Jesus takes care of his sheep as the door, giving them life, giving them safety and giving them food. Now, it's not entirely clear who these thieves and robbers are. He says, and and the difficulty here is he says, all who came before me. And that all cannot be, cannot be an exhaustive all because we, we obviously would know that, let's say Moses is not in this and Jeremiah is not in this and other faithful ministers throughout the Old Testament. But we can at least include in this all the, the faithless leaders of Israel. And earlier in the service, I read about those faithless leaders of Israel. They were the shepherds of Israel. But, but God went to them through His prophet Ezekiel, and He says, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, but with force and harshness you have ruled them. And he says, You have clothed yourself with their wool, you have fed yourself on their flesh, but you have not taken care of them. That was the indictment in, in Ezekiel 34 against the shepherds of Israel. And certainly included in this group are the shepherds of Israel in Jesus' day. Think back to last week. Do you remember the man born blind? How did the shepherds treat this man who had been born blind and he was healed? What did they do with that man? They interrogated him. They belittled him. They insulted him. And they kicked him out of their presence. That's what the shepherds were doing with this sheep who had been born blind and who had been healed. And so Jesus says, these thieves and robbers, they mean harm for the sheep. That's what He says in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is saying, what He is offering here is life and abundant life. Now, a lesson of history that humans never seem to learn well, is this. That every, every political Messiah that comes along, offering life, offering some utopian version of life, ends up stealing and killing and destroying. That's what happens. And there, there are too many examples of that in our present day and throughout history. And I could name names, but you know some of these names that have end up being dictators and being tyrants and being murderers of millions and millions of their own people. That's what happens when you follow those voices. But Jesus says, if you follow me, I will give you life and I will give you better life. Not only eternal life, which has been the emphasis in John up to this point, not only life that lasts forever, but it will be qualitatively better life. Now, um, you may or may not be convinced of this, depending on where you are in your faith or lack thereof in Jesus. And if you are, are still considering Christianity and you're, you're looking at it from the outside, 
it may be that you look at the lives of Christians and you're not sure that you want that life because you haven't experienced it from the inside. And you're not sure that it's actually better than the life you have now. But I would invite you to do an experiment. If you're in that situation, I would invite you to do an experiment. Go ask all the Christians you know. And I mean sincere Christians, real Christians that are, that are hearing the voice of, of, of Christ in the Scriptures and, and aligning their lives with following Him and ask themselves this question. Is your life better or worse for being a Christian? And I can uh, send you out to do that experiment with an absolute confidence that, uh, that you'll get this answer. My life is better. Now, they may not tell you that their life is easier because it isn't necessarily easier all the time. But they will tell you, as I can tell you now from the inside, having been on the outside, now from the inside, that it is immensely better. It is abundant, which is what Jesus offers believers. Now, Jesus then takes this image And he turns it again. So far he's been the shepherd that goes in and out of the door. And then he's been the door itself. The way into life. And the way out to abundance. And now in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. By the way, in this chapter we are seeing several I am's. We have seen these distributed throughout the uh, the Gospel of John. I am, which sometimes stands absolutely. We saw that when Jesus said, before Abraham was, what? I am. am, Without a predicate. I am what? He didn't say, he just said, I am. I am the the existent one, using divine language about himself, which which is why they wanted to stone him. But there are other times, like here, where he uses the I am with a predicate. That is, I am the door. And now he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, the, uh, the thing that makes him a good shepherd, and this is, this is surprising giving, given this, this analogy of the shepherd. What makes him a good shepherd in verse 11, and then once again in verse 15, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, if we think about this image of a shepherd... And sheep, that sounds like a terrible idea. That sounds like a disaster for the sheep, doesn't it? What happens if the shepherd dies? The sheep are exposed. And so here, here is where this, this image of the, the sheep and the shepherd begins to break down a bit. He says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he, he contrasts himself with those who flee when danger comes. So, so he's, he's certainly emphasizing what? That the sheep are his, and he loves the sheep so much that he will lay down his life for the sheep. But the sheep themselves might say, that's not what we need. We need you to be here. Because if you're not here, we are exposed to danger. And so, this, this image is, is startling about the the shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. But the way we can understand that is twofold with what he goes on to say, first of all, 
We can understand it because he uses a, a preposition here. And it's a vague preposition in English, for. He lays down his life for the sheep. But it reflects a preposition in the original language here that also has a a range of meaning, but it often means in place of, instead of the sheep. And, And what he's saying here is, I give my life instead of the sheep giving their lives. I give my life so that the sheep do not have to give their lives. What usually happens to sheep? They get slaughtered. And he says, I am giving my life in place of, as a, as a substitute for, precisely so that they will not get slaughtered. But even so, it seems to leave the sheep without a shepherd, doesn't it? But we continue to read, and if you look at verse 17, it says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that, and this probably should be translated, in order that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. So what's the purpose of Jesus dying? In the language here, the purpose of His dying is to take up His life again. So no, He's not leaving the sheep by themselves. He lays down His life for the sheep so that the sheep don't be destroy- aren't destroyed. And then He takes up His life again and continues to shepherd the sheep. Now, um, that's why this image works, although it stretches the, the image of the sheep and the shepherd. But we see here that what Jesus did is exactly the opposite of what the shepherds of Israel were doing. What were the shepherds of Israel doing? They were sacrificing the sheep for their own benefit. What did Jesus do? He sacrificed Himself for the benefit of the sheep. That's why He is the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, the, the good shepherd not only lays down his life for the sheep, but he also says he knows the sheep. In the first iteration of the illustration, it says that the sheep know his voice. And now we have the other side. He says, I know the sheep. I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my own, and my own know me. And, and this is a startling, verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, he's comparing his intimate knowledge of the Father and the Father's knowledge of him with his knowledge of the sheep and the sheep's knowledge of him. That's how intimate this relationship is. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he says something a bit enigmatic, verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Who are these other sheep? Now, there there are a couple of interesting things here, and that is, he says, these are already mine. Even though they are not in the sheepfold yet, I count them as mine. These are my sheep. And the only thing that needs to happen is they hear my voice and they respond and they come. But they are already mine. They are my possession already. And I've already laid down my life for them. 
So who are these? Well, let's think about the context here. He's speaking to a Jewish audience, and uh, he is writing, the Gospel of John is written to probably Jews in the dispersion. So it wasn't just the Jews in Judea and Galilee, but of the other uh, sheep uh, that are from another flock could be the Jews that are dispersed. But not only that, guess who else gets to get included in that? Yeah, exactly. Folks like us. We weren't at the center of things, folks. We were very, very far away from what God was doing for generation after generation. We were out there, and we were sheep without a shepherd. But Jesus says, I have sheep from other flocks, and I will go to them. I will call them. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. Here we have the history of the church. And here we have our own history. What's our own history? That Jesus, the Good Shepherd, has has sought us out. Yes, even people like us, even people so far away from God, with no connection to the people of God historically, and He came after even us, and He called us, and we heard His voice and recognized His voice and responded to Him. He brought us in so that there might be one flock, no longer Jews and Gentiles, one flock under one shepherd. Now this is Jesus' teaching here. Oh, and by the way, um, Jesus says, I, I don't, nobody takes my life from me. This is completely voluntary. I lay down my life, I take it up again, and I have authority to do this from the Father. And this is the charge I received from the Father. So, this is interesting, because Jesus says, I do this completely voluntarily. Nobody's forcing me to do this, and I do it in obedience to the Father. Now, now think about that. If I were to say, do whatever you want, do whatever you want, or do what God says you should do, you might think that those are two different things doing what God says you should do, and doing what you want. But in Jesus' case, He's saying what? I am doing exactly what I want to do. And I am doing exactly what God has commanded me to do. That's abundant life. That's freedom, folks, when our wills are so aligned to the Father's that what we most want to do is what the Father commands us to do. And that's what Jesus did. Now, once again, no surprise here, there was a division among the Jews because of these words. Verse 19, And many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. So here they were piling two two opinions of Jesus and they're putting him together. He was demonically insane. Some had called him demonic, some had called him insane, and they were putting these together. And they were saying he's both. Why hear Him? Why hear His voice? Why did they say that? Because they weren't of a sheep. They didn't recognize His voice. But others reasoned and said, now listen to His words and look at His works. These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Listen to what He's saying. And then they asked Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So they were were thinking about this, and they were saying, listen to these words. That's not how demons speak. That's not how crazy people speak. And look at His works. Is that what demons do? 
Do they save people from blindness? And then we're left with that question mark. And that's a rhetorical question, not just for the readers of this gospel originally, but it's a rhetorical question for us. And that's what the writer, this amazingly uh, artful writer, does for us. He tells the story, and then he leaves a question hanging. And what's he doing? He's throwing the ball into our court. And he's saying, these are some opinions that were being spoken about Jesus. Some were categorizing Him as as demonically insane. And others were looking at His words, or listening to His words, and looking at His works. And maybe we're going to come to another conclusion. And then the author basically says to us, and you? And what about you? And I would say the same thing. Listen to His words. And look at His works, and particularly this work. The work of laying His life down for the sheep. Listen to His words. Look at His works. And then you'll know who He is. Let's pray. Our God, we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But as you said long ago through the prophet, you, O Lord, laid the sin of us all on him, on the substitute. We thank you for Jesus, the good shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep. Our God, we were straying, we are going our own way, doing our own thing, and you loved us so much that you sent your Son to give his life for us. And Lord, I pray that all of us would hear the voice of the shepherd, that we would respond in faith, that we would follow Him with our lives, and that we would enjoy day by day and moment by moment that abundant life that Jesus came to bring. And we pray this in His name. Amen.